0: presentation is part of a six-week class titled <laughs> The class is offered at Common Ground Meditation Center Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark
1: Nunberg Guiding Teacher at Common Ground.
0: Welcome back everyone. Did anybody notice that it was hard to come back? So much of what the practice is about is becoming more and more familiar with the different patterns of our minds and not having to be confused or under the influence or dependent on those patterns. It's not likely we're going to be free of our mental patterns anytime soon, but we can be a lot wiser so when my, for example, my defensiveness comes up or my sense of resignation, or the quality of, if this, then I'll be happy, when that comes up in my mind, I can learn to recognize it, oh, there's that pattern. I mean, not that we have to actually say that in the mind, but we recognize, oh, there's that pattern. It's just the pattern in my mind. And you see how it creates some freedom. If we're not aware when an emotional pattern is triggered, we're just going to act it out literally led along by that pattern because that's the habit to feel that and to basically do whatever it says but we have this other training you know where we recognize oh there's that emotion that pattern being known there's a tendency to do this but in that space of knowing it we we have this other option of just feeling what we feel but not acting on it We're already doing this. I mean, imagine if we actually acted on every single pattern that got triggered. We'd all be in prison or divorced or something. But because we already can recognize patterns and realize this pattern, this emotional pattern, doesn't necessarily inform what I should do. It may be just something to feel, to know, to be with, And the wonderful thing is it's there for a while and it goes away. And this is one of the things that we usually dig into a little bit on week three. And the intro class is um, mindfulness of emotion. And understanding that um, as human beings we're going to have emotion, but we don't need to be confused by it. There's this option of just feeling it, being with it. And it doesn't mean repressing it. So feeling it doesn't mean being tight because that's not wanting to feel it. That's not feeling it. And so for the next week, both in your formal sitting time, but also just as you go about your day, notice strong emotions that arise for whatever reason, whether the trigger is internal, something you're thinking about, or external, something you're seeing or something some, due to something somebody said. Notice the emotional pattern and the strong feeling that comes with it. And notice that that feeling will arise and last and cease without having to act on it. Think about all of the strong desires we've had in our lives and we haven't acted on all of them. But where where is that desire now? It went away without gratifying it. See, the lies that are desires that particular pattern of craving, of wanting, the lie it gives us is this painful experience of craving, of wanting, won't go away unless I get what I want. But is that actually true? I mean, think about it. We've wanted a lot of things in our lives, and those strong, very strong desires have come and gone. Because a lot of those things we strongly desired, we didn't get. Same thing with anger. You know, we can feel a strong compulsion to want revenge, to want to hit back if we're a kid, or yell back if you're an adult. You know. Somehow when we're feeling the pain of anger, it just makes so much sense to want to hurt somebody else. Now we can learn to just feel what we feel and We think that I'll feel better if I hit, but actually that yucky feeling of hatred, of anger, it goes away if we're just with it and not feeding it, not getting identified, just feeling what we feel. It will go away without us having to do anything about it because some patterns, some emotional patterns, require a response, there's an appropriate response, but a lot of other patterns that have been triggered the different sort of uh, habitualized patterns, they're really not skillful. It's best to not act them out, but we don't want to have to just repress them, because that doesn't really work well anyway. They, They leak in later when we're not so mindful, not so conscious. It's better to let it cease on its own. So this is the practice for this week, and even tonight when we do our guided sit, just notice the different emotions that come. Be on the lookout. So whether you're doing a more open attention practice where you're awake to whatever is predominant in the body and mind, or you have a more focused, directed meditation practice where you're directing your attention, for example, to the movement of the breath in the body. But either way, whether you have an open attention practice or a directed attention practice, there will be interruptions, right? Anybody not recognizing the interruptions that arise? Thoughts arise, emotions arise, reactions to sensations arise, reactions to thoughts ar- thought arises. So there's experiences or objects and reactions to those objects which are also experiences or objects of awareness on and on, happening all the time. And just notice there's these two basic approaches. One is the mind gets involved with the objects of experience, takes them personally. From this attitude, I'm going to get this thing organized. I'm going to get on top of it. And some of the ways we get in control is, ooh, this is too messy. I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to pretend it's not happening, that I'm not feeling this. Other ways we control is we think hard about what we're feeling or what's coming up. And we, like if it's pleasant, we think hard about how to hang on to it and make it last. And if it's unpleasant, we think about, how can I be free of this experience because I don't like it? So that's one approach. We're sitting or living our life and experience, of course, arises. We take that personally. And from that personal point of view, The way the Buddha defines this approach is when we're taking things personally, we're always interested in what's pleasant because we want to hold on to that, make it last, keep it from going away. We're very interested in what's unpleasant because we, we feel threatened by it and we want to get rid of it if we can, deny it, repress it, blame somebody for it. And if it's neutral from this personal point of view, we tend to think it's not important. That's why we can go through the day and never feel our body, because a lot of the time when our body isn't hurting, it's just kind of ordinary, so the mind tends to ignore it, because it doesn't feel relevant. So this is the basic habit of a human being, to ignore what's neutral, to hold on to what's pleasant, to try to get rid of or deny what's unpleasant. And we're replacing that with this other approach, this other way of being. You could say it's a, this path of awakening or this path of understanding. We're learning to understand, oh, it's like this now. The mind is like this, or the body is like this, or the moment is like this. And part of what we're recognizing when we recognize it's like this, is we're recognizing what's happening and we're recognizing the mind's habitual response to what's happening. If it's pleasant, we're going to want to hold on. If it's unpleasant, we're going to want to get rid of it. So we're aware that this is how it is. This is the mind-body experience right now. This is the mind's reaction to the mind-body experience. And we're just letting all of that unfold naturally, moment by moment, Lawfully, right? Because that's how experience does unfold. Just, it's like, this is the great thing about being a human being. We don't actually have to do it. When we're taking our life personally, doesn't it feel like a slog to get through the day, to get through the week, to get through our 40s, to get through our 50s? You know, oh, God, I can't wait. You know, I'll be retired someday. And it's like, that's, that's like the, considered a healthy approach to living, just getting through, getting to the end. But that's because we take life personally, and everything feels like a struggle. The struggle to hold on to what's good, the struggle to get rid of what's bad, the struggle to ignore what's not important. This other approach, it's really a refuge in awareness, in a a very clear, simple, non-judging, relaxed presence. And you'll see, the more you, once you start to get the sense of the practice, you'll see that ultimately this is effortless. It doesn't take any particular effort to be mindful. The effort we need is not to forget mindfulness. But like, are you or do you need to make any particular effort right now to hear my voice? You see how naturally effortlessly the sound of my voice is received? Now, the only thing you could do is distract yourself. That would be actually the only way to be unaware of my voice. And you'd still be aware of it, you just wouldn't be consciously aware of it. Because of like fixating on some problem, you might sort of be able to tune out what I'm saying. But the awareness is, in a sense, it's like the background of the mind. It just is there. So this is our relationship to emotion. First we have to notice that there is emotion. Just like in the early weeks of the Course, you know, we we're just getting a sense of, my God, there are body sensations. Just using the physicality of the body to recognize, oh my God, there's a present moment and the body feels like this. The sensations are like this now. And just learning to inhabit that reality, that there's always sensation never goes away, and that's kind of amazing that we can go through the day and it's like just a few moments of feeling the body, you know, when the sensations are really strong, like you step out into the heat and humidity, and then all of a sudden you know you have a body for a few minutes until you space out again. So we work with the body. Now we're moving more to the more subtle and more challenging objects of awareness, like the mind, thought, and emotion. But we can can learn to have the same relationship we're learning to have with the body, which is to be aware, to be connecting, sustaining this clear, relaxed attention with the body. We can have that same uh, relationship with the mind and emotion, that clear and relaxed attention with emotion. And just like with the sensations, we just let the sensations come and go. We let emotion and thought come and go. We don't have to make thoughts the bad guy. Sometimes people think in meditation that thinking is bad. Thinking is bad when the mind gets attached to the content, tries to stop the thoughts we don't like, tries to keep thinking the thoughts we do like. That's that's really tight and uh, unpleasant. But there's nothing unpleasant or wrong about thoughts coming and going. Because that's what the mind does. The mind thinks. So we're not trying to think and we're not trying to not think. We're simply, the practice is simply to be aware of how it is. So when thinking is happening, then the practice is to be aware that thinking is happening. When sensations are happening, the practice is to know sensations are happening. You get a a whiff of the freedom. So the more we're, we're able to trust, in a sense like settle back in to this clear, relaxed mind, awareness, and we just let everything happen. And this isn't a passive approach to living. Sometimes people think, well, God, things are just going to happen and I'll just be there letting them happen to me. But remember, we're not stopping anything. We're just taking refuge in that clear, relaxed presence. So, if the body and mind, like if we're not formally sitting, and the moment, it's appropriate in the moment to do something, to get up and say something, what would stop it? Why would mindfulness stop the body and mind from doing what's next? What is it in the instructions that say you can't move, you can't speak? This is why, In your work for the course, you want to do the formal sitting every day, but you also want to be uh, reminding yourself to practice throughout the day, as long as you're awake, to just do your best. I bet there's a chair somewhere. Yeah. So any questions before we do our sit tonight about what I said? And I'll give instructions again as we go through the sit. And we'll have time for questions and sharing afterwards. So let's just take a few moments if you want to stretch out your legs so you'll be comfortable. And we'll be sitting for about 30 minutes tonight. doing whatever you can to be comfortable. We'd like the body to reflect the basic intention and practice, which is to be both relaxed and clear. To help the body settle, you might want to take a few deep, slow, easy breaths in and out, as if you have all the time in the world to slowly fill and then to slowly empty the lungs, a couple more times. Simply feeling the physicality of the body as you bring the breath in and as you exhale. And then eventually, when you feel ready, allow the breathing to continue on its own. So we're not trying to control the breath at all. The breath to be quiet as it moves naturally. Just appreciating that the body knows how to breathe, so we don't need to consciously control the breathing process. Let's begin with mindfulness of hearing for a few minutes. Allowing the mind the attention to open to the experience of hearing. Discovering this receptive quality of the mind no need to figure out what's being heard. Tuning in the way the mind is naturally sensitive to sound. Hearing is happening. Notice how it's possible to more fully relax and how this relaxation supports the clarity. In other words, trying to hear doesn't help. floor, a continuity of this mindful attention to hearing, so an unbroken wakefulness. can more fully trust the simplicity of opening the hearing. And perhaps noticing the quality of peacefulness just in this simple practice. Now, in the same way, aware of the body sitting. So instead of trying to feel the body sitting, relying on this natural receptive quality of the mind. Sensations are already being known. Right now, in the space of the mind, sensations are already being known. Uh, picking or choosing. So we have an all-inclusive awareness of the body sitting, simply recognizing it's like this now. Sitting is like this. Is it possible to completely accept how it is in the body, including the full range of sensations, subtle, obvious, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, nothing's left out. arises, clearly recognize that there is this emotion, this mind state, like this, and notice how it will come and it will go on its own. We don't need to be for or against the different emotions or states of mind, attitudes that come. For example, if there's a moment of feeling you're not practicing correctly, instead of immediately doing something, just notice that experience of doubt as a present moment happening. Oh, this is doubt. Doubt is being known. Experience of doubting is being known. It's like this now. And then of course, if it seems appropriate to do something, to change how you're practicing, but then of course do that. So we're learning to recognize the different qualities of the mind, of the attitude. And then to come back to the anchor, feel the body sitting Or you might want to work more specifically with the breath, moving in the body, feeling that natural process of the breath coming in and going out and learning to let it come and go without getting tight, without forgetting it. So once again, the practice is this balance of alertness and relaxation in the mind and sustaining this balanced attention, mindfulness of the present moment with as much continuity as is possible and when the mind gets lost, caught up, And just begin again when you can. Take the time to recognize the emotions or mind states that lead the mind to becoming distracted. Let's continue now in silence for a while. be willing to begin again and again. Just noticing what the mind is doing, what the mind is knowing, or noticing the experience of sitting, of breathing. The beginning again can be quite simple. You can check and see what is the attitude of the mind, the mood, just noticing without needing to judge, without needing to be frustrated. Just recognize that the mind is like this now. Can this be okay? We'll be sitting for another couple minutes. You might find it useful now to practice with the eyes open. Just in a gentle way, let the eyes open if they've been closed. Just gazing down toward the floor in front. First and foremost, we're learning to be relaxed. Encouraging both the body and mind to be relaxed right here in the middle of things, just as they are. And then from this place of being at ease, notice this capacity to be interested or alert. Hearing Clearly aware of seeing. Aware of all the sensations of the body. Obvious to just notice the gates and then noticing the mind itself thinking emotion, feeling. that it's like this now, this moment, it's like this, can this be okay, no matter how it is, can this be okay, things to be other than how they are right now. Unconditional acceptance. Body. You can touch your legs if you need to. Even stand for a few seconds if you'd like. Maybe somebody over by those light switches, the top two switches, could just turn up not all the way, maybe about halfway. people, what you're experiencing, what's been challenging, what's been good, what felt like insightful in your practice here tonight or at home. Any questions? This is a good time. So what have you been learning? Yeah, say your name, please. I'm Kim,
1: and I'm um, trying the hearing of. Yeah.
0: So Kim's asking about the anchor. She said that uh, being mindful of hearing comes relatively easy for her, but the other seems to be be more challenging. And uh, think about the different objects that we can work with as meditation objects, like a training ground, and we should just train. Initially, it's good just to train in what the mind likes to train in or is willing to train in. And uh, it's just nice to know the possibilities. So there are many, actually, but here in this class, uh, I offer, you know, suggest three anchors you could choose from. Feel the whole body sitting or whatever is predominant in that moment. So that's your training ground. Or specifically, feel the movement of the breath. Now, it can be different for different people. Some people feel it. As the rising and falling of the abdom- uh, abdominal wall or fewer people in the chest and another popular place is feeling the touching right at the nostrils the air going in and out there there's nothing inherently special about this but it's a neutral experience for most people and it's just a good uh, training ground to develop that clarity and that relaxation right the body and mind clear and relaxed with breathing in this case. So we have the body, we have the breath, and then the third is hearing. So hearing is a fine anchor. tends to support that feeling of spaciousness. It's a lot easier for the deep habits who want to control things. It's a lot easier for that to get triggered with the breath or with awareness of the body. Less easy to get triggered with hearing. I mean, how are we going to control the sound? We understand on some level that we're not in control of the sound. So it's easier, so one of the reasons hearing can be a, an anchor that people like is they discover more quickly this capacity to let things be. And that's obviously a big part of the meditation process. So, and then the, another option is not to work with any particular anchor but to do what's called open attention. So you're just aware of what the mind is aware of. So the objects of awareness are naturally arising, right? So we call this a an, an non-directed meditation. It's more challenging initially, but it's very useful. So generally, uh, uh, the way I teach, and you know, it's different for different people, but the way I teach usually is, you know, it's nice to do some training with a specific anchor. For most people, they find that useful but it's good to set aside some of your sits to do a more open attention practice. So just as an example, and there's no right or wrong, you know, let's say you have 45 minutes. Well, on a typical day, you might spend most of that time doing a more specific training where you're directing your attention back to the breath or back to hearing or back to the sensations in the body, and you're cultivating that clarity and that relaxation with your particular training ground, whether it's the breath or the body or hearing. But then at some point, maybe for at least a few minutes at at a minimum, but maybe as much as half of the sit, you would then make a conscious intention, okay, the mind may come back to my anchor, but I'm not going to be directing my attention anywhere. I'm just going to be noticing what the mind is knowing. So it's a little bit more hands-off. We're... The mind is more familiar with being directed, you know, and it's not so familiar with just letting things be and just recognizing what the mind is knowing. So in that style of open attention practice, you might need to ask yourself some questions just to develop, to be able to have even a little bit of continuity. For example, what is the mind knowing? What is mind knowing now? How is the mind relating? Is the mind craving or not? Is the mind controlling or not? So just different questions that help the mind recognize what the mind is doing. It sounds a little funny to say it, but it's possible for the mind to know the mind. Normally, our mind is sort of going out into the world. And even being aware of the body is a little bit like that. Like, I'm aware of my body, or I'm aware of my breath, or I'm aware of hearing. But... It's a little trickier to learn this movement of being aware of the mind itself, what the mind is doing, the space of the mind. But that's another option. So we have four, basically. We have the three anchors, and then a more open attention or mindfulness of mind. We're less interested in the object as much as we are how the mind is relating to the object, or that the mind is knowing the object. So I might hear a bird sound, Like if I'm doing open attention practice, there might be a cardinal making a sound. The mind naturally tunes into that because it's interesting. But in terms of the practice, I'm recognizing that that sound is being known. So the real emphasis is on the fact that the mind is knowing. Not that it's knowing the sound of a cardinal, but that it's knowing something. And then, even more specifically, how is it knowing it? Is there greed in the knowing of that sound? Is it boredom? Indifference? Anger? You know, like, why don't we have any Cardos by my house?
1: <laughs> so,
0: but just to see, like, how is the knowing tainted? Is it tainted by any um, emotion or quality? Other thoughts come to mind? Yeah. Let's um, say your names, please.
1: Liz. I have Um, An experience. Last week, I went upstairs and I was going to sit down in my meditation time and I noticed my cat playing with my shoe, which she doesn't normally do. And I sat down and began my practice and was kind of aware of her doing things. And then I heard a squeak. And then I heard another squeak. And I was kind of in this I wonder, and I want to keep sitting. And then finally I was done, and she had caught a mouse, and um, I felt bad because the mouse was kind of beating up. So, I just was blessed with this feeling of, boy, that just didn't feel right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's a funny story of uh, one of my teacher's friends, um, had finally gotten away to do a longer retreat using a friend's cabin and he was sitting and practicing and you know being mindful he, would, he was noticing that the room was warm and noticing sounds and the uh, roof was well into a serious fire before he realized you know they kind of put all the pieces together you know even though feeling you know how it is uh, the, creosol, the Build up in up in the stovepipe, you know, had caught on fire and then spread to the roof of the cabin. So, you know, this is why the, in meditation practice we want both the depth but also the breadth of awareness. And a lot of times people think that meditation practice is getting really deep and that's all there is to it. And then it's like we want to escape. The world is heavy, it's difficult, irritating. So I want to go into deep meditation and get a real vacation for my life. And there are styles of meditation practice that are exactly that way. But that's not mindfulness practice. Mindfulness practice is is distinguished from a lot of the other meditation styles in that it's about both concentration and insight together. We're doing both of those things together. So we are interested in calm. We're interested in quiet but not exclusively. Because if you wanted just that exclusive, you know, you could just take a lot of tranquilizers or, you know, any number of techniques or chemicals, and you can get that deep vacation, you know, where you're disconnected from things as they are. But the whole point of this style of practice is we want that evenness, that steadiness that calm gives us, that quietness that the mind gives us, but we want to bring it on the road into life. we're using it actually to comprehend how it is. That's the whole point. Buddha uses this term a lot, clear comprehension. So it's wisdom with mindfulness, this breath that that understands of kind of putting together the different objects. So at some point, you know, as you're hearing that, you know, there's probably naturally arising in your mind the intention to open your eyes and look, right? Mm -hmm. And then there is was probably a judgment, oh, I can't do that, that's bad. Now, if you had been really mindful, you would have noticed, oh, that's judgment. You know, that's like, or I'm afraid of being a bad meditator. And you've noticed that fear, oh, that's just fear. So that, you, you don't want the fear to decide whether you should open your eyes or not, right? The choice to open your eyes shouldn't be based on whether you have this old emotional pattern of one not being good enough and wanting Mark or somebody to think you're a good meditator or, we know, or yourself, you know, to, you've internalized that sort of parental energy so you want to prove something to yourself. So you just notice, well, okay, that's just that. I don't need to, that I don't need to weigh that. I don't need to get attached with that voice or that emotion. So maybe I will look because it might be a mouse and if it is, you know, my heart's moved and I'll see if I can get it outside or whatever or so get my cat away from it. So, You know, it is nice to set aside a time and a place where you're not going to have interruptions like that. And if you do have pets, uh, in most cases it's good if you can, if your pet will let you to practice in a room where your pet is not. You know, if you really have that time where you're not going to be interrupted by your roommates or your children or your pets or your phone or your mail or anything, it's like... This is a powerful gift we can give ourselves, and uh, this is as important as anything. Like in terms of developing the practice, do you respect this practice enough that you'll put aside some time where you don't have to do anything but be present with things as they are? And so that's why we, you know, we think about how we sit too. So if we're going to sit, you know, whatever length of time. We take a posture that we think will be good enough. The sensations will be tolerable enough for that period of time. Or if you want to sit longer than you can sit still for, then just at some point make a quiet adjustment. So I can sit still for 15 minutes. And you know that. And you don't move, you know, generally, then you wouldn't move for that first 15 minutes. And then make your adjustment. Stretch your leg out for a while. Let the the strong sensations release come back into a comfortable, stable posture and then continue for whatever time you have. So we're, because it's easier to learn the practice when things are simple. And it's more challenging to do it out in the world or in a world where there's cats catching mice. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, say your name. Um. I don't know if this You're the only one. Yeah. <laughs> There's always one person. That's <laughs> right.
1: okay. me. Um, and but I don't, when I when I sit, it is I like go to this very calm, quiet, peaceful place, and I don't have the emotional crap that shows up or anything. Like, I'm like stay in this nice like, place.
0: That's called fear, right? Not wanting things to change is, is its own kind of suffering or stress. So it's totally fine when when the experience of meditation is beautiful, and you know, hopefully that happens. You know, the whole point is not that we can depend on it, but it will be the probability will keep increasing the more you practice that you will experience experience tranquility and calm, and even more profound states of inner bliss and happiness, the more you do your practice, the more regular you are, the more intelligence you bring to your practice. That will happen more and more often, not every time, but more regularly, the more consistent you are. But needing that to happen, wanting that to happen, is actually a corruption. It's a it's a stain. So even if it is nice and pleasant, that needing it to be that way actually ruins it a little bit. So let's just remind yourself, like when you do have a lot of peace and tranquility, remind yourself it may not last. That, and be interested in the pleasantness of it because that's how it is now. So can you be interested in it without clinging to it, without being attached to it, without the mind being dependent on the pleasantness. And this is the, it's actually much harder to work with joy and pleasant experience than it is with painful experience. Most people, not, a, not everybody, but most people have a higher dose of unpleasant experience than they began, than pleasant experience. But it, you know, kind of shifts around, it depends, it's cyclical. So don't associate good, pleasant experiences with doing well. It's just the way that it is now. And because, remember, the whole point is learning. We're learning how to be free no matter how it is, pleasant or unpleasant, in our experience. But when it is pleasant, then take that time, that opportunity, to learn how to be free with pleasant, beautiful experience. Not getting tight. Notice when something good happens, notice how we get tight. It's amazing. We tend not to notice it because we're really focused on the fact that it's What I want to happen, is happening. But if we really have a more clear, uh, sensitive awareness, we'll notice that we get tight when good things are happening. We get tight. And that's not pleasant. So we want to be free with the pleasant experiences of life, and we want to be free with the unpleasant experiences of life, because they come and go. And real freedom is not a freedom or not a a release that's dependent on certain circumstances, but it's a release that's independent of whatever circumstances that are happening. That's the kind of freedom I'm interested in, right? Because then there isn't anything that can arise in my life that will undermine that sense of happiness or release or freedom. Other thoughts come to mind? Yeah
1: during the meditations and strong emotions came up and after a while I wasn't okay with them. And then I noticed a little while
0: after that a few lines of the song got stuck in my head to distract me and they're still there. Yeah. But you learned a lot just in that experience, like, um, you know, a strong emotion came up, and it sounds like you were able to be mindful with it for a while, mindful of it for a while, so there was that feeling. Now, one of the the skillful means with being with strong emotion is, you know, usually when there's a strong emotion, there's content, there's thoughts or images, right? And then there is the emotion itself, And then there's the fact that the emotion is unpleasant or pleasant, depending on which emotion it is. So what really helps, if you can, is to go from the content to the emotion to the ouch of it, the actual pain of the emotion, if it's a painful emotion, or the actual pleasantness of it, if it's a pleasant emotion. So I just want to make that point, sort of tracing down to the actually whether it's pleasant or unpleasant and then learning to be with that. Not so much being with the content, but you're not pushing the content away. You're using the content in a way as a doorway where that helps you recognize, oh, this is sadness. Oh, this sadness hurts. And then you're right there with the hurt of the sadness. And you're there with it, and you're there with it. And when something's painful, you can be very present with it and a lot of healing and insight can arise But at some point, your mind might get a little exhausted. Because to stay steady with something that the mind is in the habit of struggling with takes a lot of effort. The effort is in not forgetting to just let this be. But that effort is exhausting. So after a while, you're going to be exhausted. It will feel a little too overwhelming. And then, if if you had developed some skill, then you would have noticed, you would have been mindful that the mind is becoming overwhelmed. You would have recognized that, and then naturally the, the intention to redirect the attention would happen. And you would have chosen something to redirect your attention to that maybe would be more skillful than song lyrics. You know, like maybe you would have opened your eyes and taken a couple of deep breaths. And that might have given the mind some real space from the strong emotion and the pain of that emotion. Or maybe you would have done some loving kindness, a loving kindness reflection, like, "Oh, this really hurts. I really care about this. You know, may this heart, may this body be at ease." You know, just like that's a if you're going to think something, that's a relatively skillful thing to be thinking. I really care about this life. I really care about this pain, and it actually redirects the attention from like attention to the pain. Now we're paying attention to the fact that the heart cares about this pain. I care about this. So that's a skillful redirection. And there are many other skillful redirections, too. You could go to just some neutral experience. So even though the pain may be predominant, the attention wants to go there. Because you're skillful, you're redirecting the attention to feeling something that's neutral. Like the breath might be neutral. And if you really focus on the breath, then you get some space from that painful emotion. Or hearing is a really good one because it brings the mind from an inward to more outward, so you could open your eyes even and just be aware of hearing, or seeing and hearing together. You're not really looking at anything, but you're just aware of the whole visual field and the whole auditory field, and that can create some space. Because the mind will distract itself. I mean, the mind operates like any creature does it's, uh, with a survival instinct, and if it's feeling overwhelmed by in emotion psychologically overwhelmed, it's like psychologically threatened and it's going to escape. And so it will grasp on some other object, like a song, you know, or like a little child goes, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, you know, when the parents are trying to talk to them. Like, you can't, you know, I'm not going to hear you. And then the mind basically does that too. Like, this is overwhelming. I'm going to go somewhere else. So just notice that that happens some kinds of more subtle, difficult experience, you might have a lot of intention to be with it, but you'll see that as you open to it, it's like, boom, all of a sudden you realize you're distracted. Or boom, you're in this fantasy. And it's like, it has Teflon, like you can't open to it, it's well defended. And it takes a lot of patience to learn how to be with more subtle stuff as it begins to arise in our practice. We need to have a very keen interest, a very pure interest of wanting to know things as they are—the kind of an inner uh, honesty. Like I don't want to hide. I don't want to hide anymore. I just want to see things as they actually are, or feel things as they actually are. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I have a
1: question. You said something earlier about um, about craving and allowing themselves. I um, sort of see myself as fighting the craving or fighting the desire. And, and I feel like if I sort of make it through that, wow, well, I've sort of battle this when I want. And then it will come up again. And I don't have to force you to and do this over and over and over again. So why put myself through this unnecessary, unnecessary, sort or uh, torture or, uh, mind, um, I do mind thing by continuing to try to fight it over and over when I knew if I could sort of act on it? it
0: yeah, but sometimes you'll have cravings for things you can't just act on. Like, let's say we have the craving to move. We're sitting still, and after 10, 15 minutes, whatever, the body is just restless or hurts, and it really wants to move. And, you know, it's like morally speaking, there's nothing wrong with moving the body, obviously. But this is a really important uh, place of learning. So, Because there, there's going to be experiences where we have a strong desire that can't be fulfilled. So what are we going to do then? Well, let's learn what we can do skillfully then by practicing now not fulfilling the desire to move or not fulfilling the desire to go back to that unproductive fantasy, you know, fantasizing about having a 50-foot yacht, which is just not in the picture of your life as it currently is, you know. So why, you could say, well, there's no harm to it, First of all, I'm not sure that that's true, that there's no harm to going back to it. But I know what's definitely true is it's really good to realize that there's another option besides following our desires. Like, for example, one of the images that's used in the Buddhist tradition is... Did I mention this last week about the big oxen? Yeah, so you weren't here, Bobby, but what I mentioned is uh, they had this uh, simile of a little boy or a little girl Uh, holding the rope tied to the ring in the nose of the big ox you know that's used to plow fields or whatever and however they might direct the ox the ox just follows because it doesn't want to feel that pain all life long that ox is a slave to whomever is directing it even though it's many times stronger than the small child so why not, for us, you know, why not feel the pain that comes with not fulfilling desire, not acting on desire, to sort of call it block, and to see that the pain of the desiring goes away without moving the body. This is one of the places people have a lot of insight early on in practice, learning to sit still for a length of time. Because in one 45-minute sit, for example, there may be ten times where it feels like life or death. If I don't move my body, I'm going to die. Or if I have to, not even because the body feels pain. It could be just being restless or just being bored. And it's like, if I don't do something, I'm going to die. But then we go through that and we realize we didn't die. And, and then all of a sudden there may be three or four minutes of feeling really peaceful and really happy. And that's so important to see that... The, see, normally we think whatever our mind says is the truth, but we have to realize that a lot of the projections of our mind are very... they're not true at all. You know, just think about all the things our mind has said. I mean, how much of it is actually true? Not much. Sometimes our mind is really wise. It's speaking the truth based on its experience. But a lot of times our mind is not wise. So. This is uh, the important thing is that we don't just believe when the mind says, I have to move, we don't just believe it. We practice sort of challenging that. Well, let me just see that as a thought. That's just a thought. You know, and, that, and then if there's a sense of panic, well, that's just that sense of panic. And it's like this now. And then there's that sort of desperate voice, and maybe even a pleading desperate voice. And then we look at that. And we really gain a lot of resilience and a lot of wisdom. Like we begin to see that the mind is very impersonal. These different patterns that arise, I'm not doing it. They're just kind of coming and going because of habit. So we learn a lot. That's why we stay put. And uh, so there's a place in life for restraint, but we don't want to wait until we need restraint to learn it. You know, it's better to learn restraint when we don't need it. And we do this a lot with raising kids. You know, we, uh, somebody once joked, although I think there's a lot of truth to it, that the whole education system is basically teaching human beings how to be bored. You know, How to survive being really bored so that they're able to be good adults, you know, living boring lives. I know, it's a cynical line. But there's something about you know, the importance of learning restraint so that we have that as an option when it's what's skillful. It's a way of taking care of ourselves. Maybe time for one or two more comments or questions? Yeah. David, and uh, my problem
1: is that uh, very frequently when I have my eyes closed for any period of time, uh, I'm sitting, I, I feel really dizzy and, and uh, almost like I'm going to pass up. It's kind of on me, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> there Is
0: that normal? I feel like I could open my eyes and that completely throws me off. But I feel like I have to open my eyes and pass out, or I have to or something. Well, you could just try it and see. No, really, and just see and just see what happens. Put some pillows around you. You can do it here next week, because then we'll take care of you if you do pass (laughs) out. whoever hasn't shut their cell phone off, they should just call 911. I hope be here. But a lot of, you know, it seems pretty innocent for a human being to sit down in a relaxed way and be with the breath or be with sounds or be with the body. I mean, what could be less harmful than that? But we have to appreciate how strongly addicted our mind is to its ongoing narration and, you know, just basically whatever our mind does all day long. It's really addicted to that. So when we have the mind not doing that and it's having this, what we call mindfulness, you know, it's reflective, it's aware of how it is, it's a, it's a profound challenge to our habit, to the habits of the mind. And so there can be strong reactions to it. And like I was saying, Carol? Is it Diane? Diane? sorry, Diane. Your girl? No. <laughs> um, sorry. Anyway, as Diane was saying, you know, some people have a really pleasant experience, and some people have sort of more cathartic or really powerfully unpleasant experiences when they start. But regardless, you know, we're learning to trust the experience. Like we trust. There is nothing dangerous about sitting. I mean, assuming you're sitting in a way that's basically comfortable, comfortable enough. So just remind yourself, there is nothing dangerous here. I'm safe. And so if the system, the body-mind system, if it's processing something or if something's unwinding, let it unwind. It's only when you're forcing that you have to be careful that you might be sort of straining your system in one way. But we're not forcing in this practice. In this style of meditation, we're not forcing at all. We're not trying to make anything happen. So if whatever that is is happening, you're not doing it, right? So just see what, what it is. You can ask, do, you know, do I need, it? Do I need anything? Am I, am I making this happen? And, you know, you might just start uh, deconstructing some of the elements you can recognize. Like if there is fear, then just name that in your mind. You can even literally name it. So, oh, this is fear. This is panic this is heat, like maybe some of the elements in the body that are clearly distinguishable, like heat, like if there is heat, then note that heat. The dizziness is something you can note. And there's nothing wrong, like if it feels, if you, when you lose some the, the balance that you do have, then it's fine to open your eyes. But, but don't open the first impulse. Stay with it a little longer, a little longer, as long as you have confidence and enough and, and balance in the mind, and that, which means your mind is curious. You're not using some muscular effort to stay there, but you're actually interested in the truth of this. Like, oh, this is kind of amazing. What is this? What is this? What are the causes and conditions behind this? How is it unfolding? Where is it going? Let's see. It'd be great to report back next week.
1: Yeah? Hi, I'm I had an experience last week where I thought I was being really mindful. I was on a bus with 30, 3, 4, and 5 year olds and they was like really loud and I was so annoyed and I knew I was annoyed and then I didn't know where to go from there because it wasn't stopping because it was an external stimulus. Yeah. And so I didn't
0: know
1: where to go after that.
0: Yeah. Well. If you, before you lose your balance in your mind, so the mind is still interested, still alert, still somewhat relaxed, then to, to look, like when there's something irritating happening, it's so amazing how we're convinced that, that it's what's irritating is out there. That actually, where is the irritation? It's the mind's reaction to the sound. It's not the sound itself, it's the mind creating the tension. It's like the mind is acting violently to the hearing.
1: Even if I
0: really felt like it was as decibel above what I can tolerate? That's like the kind of classic example. Even if, you know, ten strong people are tying me down, holding me down, and tickling me and, you know, or whatever, (laughs) terrible thing they might be doing you expect me to practice
1: so, <laughs> it's just, it's
0: just, the Buddha was pretty uh, pretty adamant on this point. He, he said, if you, if you really want peace, you need to remember the simile of the saw. And the simile of the saw is, even if a bunch of folks have tied you down and are sawing off your limbs, if you harbor ill will to them, you can't consider yourself a follower of these teachings. the the idea I mean obviously that's meant to be provocative (laughs) and we're working up to it you know we're
1: working up to the little things like
0: the sound of uh, a motorcycle here at common ground when the windows are shut instead of you know 30 kids and a bus maybe at the end of a long day or whatever you know whatever the circumstance might have been but yeah let's hold out let's hold that even if we can't do it now Let's hold that out as a possibility that I can be dying and my mind and heart can be unruffled. I can be losing my dearest beloved and my heart can be unruffled. I can be, you know, experiencing the greatest joy and my heart and mind can be unruffled. I mean, that's a nice aspiration to not lose the clarity and the release of the body and mind no matter the particular circumstances of our lives. But in, our, in terms of our practice, we gravitate towards practicing where we'll get success. You know, kids do best when they're, they have like 95% success in their learning. Well, it's the same with adults. So we should be training where we'll have some success with mindfulness. Then, the rest of the day, we're out in the world and we'll have not as much success, but we'll still just do the best we can. And even when we're not successful, we'll see that hating the noise of the children doesn't help. We can't stop ourselves because it's it's a strong trigger, triggering a lot of old habits of complaining, of blaming, of feeling the victim, or whatever got triggered for you. But we're not going to somehow justify what we're doing because hating it or blaming them is adding more tension to what's already an unpleasant situation. So it's not helping. I just want to mention we have just a few minutes left. Um, there's a handout if you didn't get it, and it's some uh, walking meditation instructions from a wonderful teacher, Gil Fransdal, who teaches out in the South Bay and Northern California. And um, you can read through those. And I uh, another piece of the homework. So one piece of the homework is getting interested in mind states and emotions and just noticing how they come and go. You don't have to do anything about strong emotions, beautiful or not so beautiful emotions. Just see that they come and go on their own and uh, just trusting that they come and go on their own be part of what we can pay attention to. And then the other thing, at least once, do some walking meditation. So read the instructions, find a place in your backyard or if you have an open space, a long hallway in your apartment or house, or any place where you can do walking meditation. Because it's important. One of the nice things about walking meditation is the body doesn't hurt as much. So those of you who struggle a lot with body pain when you're sitting, walking can be quite useful. It is it, a good practice for practicing more in daily life because it's more like daily life. We're seeing, we're moving. When we see and move, it triggers a lot of thinking. It's hard to look around the room without having thoughts about everybody, right? Or thoughts about ourselves. It's hard to move our body without triggering thinking as well. So walking meditation is very useful to to experiment with. And some people will really take to it uh, even more so than the sitting practice. And that's fine. You can do more walking than sitting practice if that's what works for you. And we'll talk about your success or challenges with walking practice next week. So that's all we have time for today. Remember, next Tuesday you may feel like not coming back, but you're committed to six weeks, so give yourself these six weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.